Hey, everybody. Welcome to Conspiracy, the show. I'm Adam Todd Brown. Who are you? Connor McSpadden. We are your goddamn hosts this week. That's right. Connor, how's it going? It's going good, man. I had a herpes scare this week, but I beat the case. Me and the uh, me and the old lady live to live to rob another bank, you know, out here in these. Uh, and, and we've and, you know, I've lived a very long and sexually irresponsible life. To, so to know that Tony Sobrano can drive back to the suburbs in his uh, Chevy Suburban <laughs> and live to grill another day is very it's very it feels very good to continue getting away with it. You dodged a bullet, man. Congrats. Yeah, so I'm riding high on that news. That's when when you think you got herpes for three days and then you don't have herpes, you you got a good two weeks of just positive energy in front of you. You know, it kind of reframes things. Yeah, I knew a girl in high school for who for about four hours thought she had AIDS. Oh my god! And then the doctor called her back after four hours and was like, "Oh no 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 no, we mixed up your results. Sorry." It was Brittany with two T's. Yeah, uh, our bad. Like imagine no, those four hours. Ugh. I well, there's a uh, there's a Canadian TV show called Kenny versus Spenny, one of the greatest pieces Great of media show. ever made. These two guys compete in uh, these ridiculous challenges: who can lose the most weight, who can drink the most beer, and they all we, they sabotage each other like twelve year old edgelord boys it's great and there's a great episode where for the entire show kenny convinces spenny that he has aids he gets this really nice fake letter written up he colludes <laughs> with all these like doctors he knows and uh the contest is who is funniest and his whole thing is just like isn't it funny that i made this guy go do a comedy routine but in the build-up to that i convinced him that his life is over <laughs> and he wins he the guy has a complete emotional breakdown it's unbelievable stuff yeah that that sounds great. The only other time I've heard of someone faking to the people around them that they have AIDS was a guy on a true crime show who was okay. absolutely murdering people also. That's it. Well, that's a good sympathy move. And now that I think about it, Kenny versus Spenny really is kind of a one on one spy versus spy MK Ultra with Kinda, the level of yeah. gaslighting and subversion that goes on. Like the way like when you see this man manipulate and mold this other weaker, less aggressive man like silly putty in his hands, you'll see how a little LSD and a couple <laughs> hot girls can really give you the spider network that you need to manipulate the media landscape and the culture at hand within your uh, your your country. So it's a it's a it's a it's in a way a a, a, a sophomore template for the deep state. <laughs> it is, I think that's the perfect description for Kenny versus Spenny. <laughs> I and agree. It, it kind of ties into what we're we're talking about this week. We're talking about some media deception. I would mm -hmm. argue this is a weird thing. I had never this is kind of like uh, Richard Jewell meets Martin Scarelli. You know? Yeah. I had never really looked into our topic this week, which is the 2001 anthrax attacks. For some reason, in the lore of the year 2001, this has been overshadowed. I don't know why. Did something else is, happen in 2001? It was one. It was. I remember it in a way more distinctly than the 9/11 attacks. You know, because. I was mostly at this time upset about the fact that they were uh, interrupting Yu-Gi-Oh! broadcasts with meaningless <laughs> news 
and I couldn't follow his journey through Battle Kingdom towards Pegasus, the sure. evil overlord of this Jeffrey Epstein island where children would compete in <laughs> card games in order to win prizes and kill each other. It's very it's really a, a truly probably where the guy got the fucking idea from. If you if we, we could break that <laughs> down some point uh, on the show. But I remember as, as like the second and third week of all this shit unfolded, it was the anthrax. And that was like kind of scary. I was like, oh, shit, they're just like because I, I could like, you know, I was, I was I had a good imagination. I was an only child. I was like, you could fucking proliferate this stuff. Everybody's they could kill everyone in America. They could do a whole fucking, you know, plague coup. And I was like, damn, dude, you know, that freaked me out, kept me up at night. So anthrax in a way was because I'm like, I don't live any in, near any big buildings. I'm in fucking Chino. Like, what are you right. going to bomb the fucking citizens business bank? Suck my dick. Yeah, this kind of made what happened on 9-11 seem like it was going to be an ongoing thing. It felt like, oh, shit, that was act one of the new shadow war being waged on America. It totally got everybody in the what do we need to do to stay safe mindset, which, uh, as we found out in uh, ensuing years, was a very valuable mind state uh, for uh, the public to have in regards to everything that the people in power are trying to do. Yeah. And it I remember this happening and everyone talking about having Cipro which was some kind of antibiotic. And I remember yeah. as soon as this happened, everyone was adamant that they needed prescription drugs to fight against anthrax. And even it was, then... It was kind of the first wave of like hand sanitizer shortage in a yeah, way. Yeah, and it... If people don't remember, this happened. That was the Alex Jones, like freeze dried, you know, <laughs> food of the time. Because like that, that is like such a funny like closet industry is like... The people that go, how do we take advantage of any mass paranoia in our culture to sell like fucking safety guaranteeing doomsday devices to, you know, age yourself in this upcoming apocalypse? And they almost never get used. They almost never no. really. No one's ever like, fucking thank God we had that Cipro on hand. That really can't like, no, you probably take it when you get a yeast infection because you think it might, you know, it's like some shit like that that you just throw out in 10 years. Yeah. Same with hydroxychloroquine now. Totally. Fucking perfect analog. Yeah. And if people don't remember, this happened the week of September 18th, which not to be a math nerd about it, but that's exactly one week after 9-11. Exactly. <laughs> it is. That is seven days. And this case is also known as a Marathrax, which is... Do you think it'd be funny if Osama bin Laden was in his cave? Like, do you think they're going to... I mean, I know it's soon, but do you think they're going to do anything for the week anniversary? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I just feel like this is going so well. We totally kicked off this war that they wanted. You know, the CIA loves us. Keep the momentum going. Flowers would be nice. I mean, they know where to reach (laughs) us. They've got the red phone. The fuck? A Marathrax is a cool fucking name. I that will. is a fucking sick name. That's a good Lincoln Park bootleg that never came out, you know? <laughs> and these attacks consisted of letters containing anthrax spores that were mailed to several news media offices and politicians. They went in, they, they came in two waves. The first were all postmarked from Trenton, New Jersey. Five in total sent to ABC News, CBS News, NBC News, the New York Post, and the National Enquirer. First of those four outlets are all located in New York City. The Inquirer letter was sent to American Media Incorporated, the Inquirer's publisher in Boca Raton, Florida. Fun fact, Cracked Magazine was also published by American Media Incorporated at the time, and as a result, their offices were shut down by the 2001 anthrax attacks. And you guys could have been like the OG Charlie Hebdo, 
if right? that had gone down. You know, the cartoonist praying for the cracked team. Yeah, it it was back when cracked still thought magazines were going to be a viable business option and they were for a few years after it was going to be cds or ipods in 2001 you know we were all just riding high on j-lo hits and you know yeah i remember around in our new affordable and reliable toyota camrys we could we couldn't have a care in the world i remember when the first amazon kindle came out and cracked wrote this article about how fucking ridiculous the idea of having something to haul books around is when books already exist and you can just carry books and it's like man no one wants to carry fucking books that's why you graduate from school so you don't have to carry Mm. books anymore the worst years of your life are the ones where you're carrying books you know yeah so this first wave of letters is sent out on october 5th robert stevens who worked for another tabloid owned by ami you know i honestly i really can't get over the fact that cracked did not have its characteristic foresight and nostradamus like ability to predict the culture because they've always been on the real cutting edge of of uh of honesty in media and in um courageous takes (laughs) yeah this is these are the people behind nine different articles titled history's 11 craziest generals you yeah, know, I would exactly. have thought that they would have had a keener eye for history and the arc of human <laughs> spirit. Anyway, I'm sorry. I just I was I was a little taken aback. And that's why they're shut down now. <sighs> Shuttered. That's not, that's not true. They still exist. Just barely. Uh, there were two more letters that were they're sent. like E-bombs world. They're hanging on. <laughs> uh, on October 5th, Robert Stevens, who worked for another tabloid owned by AMI, died of what was eventually found to be anthrax infection. Two more letters, both marked with the same Trenton, New Jersey postmark, were sent to Democratic Senators Tom Daschle of South Dakota, who was the Senate Majority Leader at the time, and Patrick Leahy of Vermont, who was the head of the Senate Judiciary Committee. The Daschle letter was opened by an aide on October 15th, and the government mail service was subsequently shut down. The Leahy letter was discovered unopened in an impounded mailbag a day later. The attacks eventually killed five people and infected another 17. Several copycat letters were sent also, but none were found to contain anthrax other than those we just mentioned. So, I mean, this thing's got a little bit of a body count now. Um, in, in America, this was the first time I feel like we'd really had a taste of kind of Gabby Giffords type shit and low level political terrorism like that guy that was shot on the baseball field not too long ago by the um, I don't know, I guess they're trying to make him out to be some kind of crazy Bernie guy. I don't really remember what happened with that, yeah. dude. but um, we didn't have uh, that wasn't something that y- you saw as like a thing happening every few years in our culture. So it was pretty shocking. And this was another really kind of like, oh, my God, we never thought we could be attacked on American soil. It's been since Pearl Harbor. Oh, my God. We never thought that our political leaders would be, you know, subject to like fucking, you know, third world type like letter bomb coups and assassination. And we thought that we totally had a handle on this. So it was a it was another kind of cracking of the seal of fear precedence. You know, it was just things that we were suddenly worried about that we had not been worried about for a long time. We'd had a pretty safe and you know seemingly quiet domestic life here in america in our politics i mean we didn't we don't even have like fun arguments like they have in england like you see clips <laughs> where like they stand up and they go uh, the prime minister of jeremy corbyn and he goes yeah we the top and i've got the postal workers you know like the it, fucking it's tight it's you know it's lit we don't even have like 
anything that dramatic. It seems so humdrum. It's designed to be kind of forgotten about and for the the bougie upper class. And, you know, then it's just kind of like the sports paids for rich people. So that like all this shit happening, all it unfolding like that, there being five people dead, some, you know, in, in relatively significant positions in media. It almost felt like, OK, well, what are the fucking free press next? Like turned up the temperature from like, I mean, 9-11 took us all to like a, at least a fucking an immediate and never dropping below seven. This was like, <laughs> all right, well, now we're at like an eight and a half, nine. Yeah. And it the only thing I can think of that is sort of reminiscent of this was the Unabomber. Mm. attacks because those were that's a very good point yeah those were politically motivated uh but they were domestic terrorism and the concern yeah. here was that this was radical islam on the prowl well, it was well there was there was two sets of notes created right two different kind of boilerplate emails that they fired off and uh they they, they were all they're written cryptically and the interesting adam's got the copy i'm sure it'll come up in a second but um that was it was clear, like, you know, whoever w was behind this was uh, was doing it in the name of Allah, be that, a, you know, a white guy in a fucking cheap sport coat or, uh, you know, who, you know, whoever actually did this shit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that's that was that was the, they, they wanted to take it in that direction, take it in the uh, Iraq direction. Yeah. You know, yeah. The which is very conspicuous, like pulling back and looking at the big picture to, to like implicate Iraq in this and then release phony trumped up testing results that uh you know claim the presence of an iraq specific subchemical in this makeup and it, it was all the, there's a the smoking gun is very odd yeah it's like they'll do, you know any call anything call like whatever they put to be seen in this gesture is strange yeah it's all very suspicious and the the first letter these are this is what the letters that were sent to the New York Post and NBC said. 91101. This is next. Take penicillin now. Death to America. Death to Israel. Allah is great. Man, I hope my neighbors in the other offices heard me saying that very clearly. Can't <laughs> yeah. wait to get swatted in the middle of the podcast. I like the guys like the the guys in the uh, in the in the terrorist cave sitting around like trying to write this as a group, <laughs> like sitting in front of like Google Translate on Alta Vista, you know, and in, in 1999 on their dial up connection, just like Allah is great. That's good. We can't lose that. That's definitely we're all in agreement. That's the closer. We want to get death to Israel in there. Um, I don't know. This How do you spell penicillin? Oh, pretty maybe. bad maybe we should say okay don't take penicillin what how, is it take or don't take? we don't have time we just got to get this out the door we, we're gonna have to start the printing over it's, you know it's, and the spelling uh, of penicillin way off oh yeah misspelled right oh yeah they spell yeah. it p-e-n-a-c-i-l-i-n i like the biochemist who's made this stuff doesn't read he's just like ah you know it's my assistant all does that <laughs> shit <laughs> and the letters addressed to dashel and Leahy said nine eleven oh one. you cannot stop us we have this anthrax. You die now. Are you afraid? Death to America. Death to Israel. Allah is great. That's a copy from an episode of that's just South Park copy. I think that they use. <laughs> it sounds like it. Yeah. All of the letters were copies that were made with a copy machine and the originals were never found. Ooh. Um, um. Which that's smart. That's a smart move. No, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't want Batman getting in there and looking at, well, this kind of graphite only comes from the south side of Gotham. You know, <laughs> you got to cover your tracks. So that's that's pretty much it where like all that 
kind of like you know evidence sort of dead ends like uh, from the actual sent materials you have the uh you have where they're postmarked from you know obviously probably meant to be deliberately misleading and opaque and then they find a few people with what a few sort of like strands and strands that kind of point them in these directions and you know the, the, this is some of the seem pretty plausible and they they pretty they get to work pretty quickly on starting a narrative they seem to you know use their new patriot act hours and all that shit and they, they seem to just get it you know, settled in their own minds relatively quickly after this comes out, as people always try to do after some big America shaking tragedy happens. You try to go, OK, well, it was this guy, but you got shot by that other guy. And that's all, folks, you know. Yeah. And in this case, the the first suspect they identify is Iraq. The uh, right after this happened, the, well, not right after, but the last week of October 2001, ABC News ran an article with this headline. Troubling anthrax additive found. And according to their reporting, this is this a quote. anthrax additive in your kitchen could be killing you. <laughs> this is a quote from their article. A second test of the anthrax lace letter sent to Senator Maj- to Senate Majority Leader Tom Daschle points to the presence of a troubling chemical additive. Four well-placed and separate sources told ABC News that initial test detected bentonite. And at the time, the only country that was known to use bentonite to produce chemical weapons was Iraq. And this is another quote from the article. It means to me that Iraq becomes the prime suspect as the source of the anthrax used in these letters. And that is former UN weapons inspector Timothy Traven. And ABC News is the one that really picked up this claim and ran with it for weeks and weeks and weeks and people were so hungry for anything people just wanted to know who did this to us in general after 9-11 and that any kind of scoop or take or leak was proliferated very quickly just because it was kind of the beginning of 24-hour news and everybody needed shit to talk about so it was a really good time for ideas like these to just like take off. And if somebody had a narrative they wanted to push, you could probably get it out there and thriving pretty well in a really worried, you know, public conscious. Yeah, this was the point in history where Americans tied anthrax and chemical weapons to Saddam Hussein in their head. Yeah. And that ends up becoming pretty consequential because it's part of our reasoning for invading Iraq in 2003, along with our claims that they were buying yellow cake uranium, which they weren't. They had those big like aluminum tubes that they were saying were for something they weren't for, you know, they had like five or six sort of Timmy hit me stories and then, you know just made the case yeah and in the next state of the union after this george w bush accused saddam hussein in iraq of developing weaponized anthrax during his famous axis of evil speech so this moment this ab this series of abc news reports where they quote four well-placed government sources that said basically iraq was involved in this that's where we end up tying iraq to all of this but the thing is it was false it wasn't that it's not even that they tested it and found bentonite and then follow-up tests proved that was incorrect there were just never any tests at all that showed any traces of bentonite it was a totally fabricated thing that came out through four people within news organizations which you know, Lord knows the CIA wouldn't have anybody working there. Uh, <laughs> no, definitely and, not. 
not the kind of person you'd like to be able to, uh, you know, leak false information and uh, and, and control uh, uh, media from the shadows. Not nothing you'd need in, in the CIA. But uh, yeah, no, it's very conspicuous. It's very odd that it would come from four different people. It obviously shows signs of collusion and uh, and some sort of more, you know, secret intent behind the whole uh, leak. So I don't know. It's all it's all very uh, strange. More questions, right? Yeah, because it it raises the question if someone is out there actively lying about the origins of this chemical weapon, that raises the question, well, were they involved in these attacks? Like, did they facilitate these attacks just to push they, that narrative they, so they we could go to working war with Iraq? cover for somebody? Is this sort of a thing like, hey, let's do some damage control and get everybody going on this? Right. But it ends up that that report ends up being discredited. ABC News didn't even fully retract that report until 2007, I believe. Oh, wow. OK. It took them a while. All during that time, the FBI had already decided there was most likely a domestic source behind it. And by June 2003, the government took a really interesting step that they had never done before. And what they did is they named an official person of interest before he had ever been charged, before anything legal had happened. He was just out running free. The FBI names this guy, Stephen Hatfill. And I believe he was named publicly as a person of interest, which is like that to me seems so fucked up in a in a world with a legal system and, and you know, rights to privacy and things like this. And, you know, all that kind of stuff that was um, ignored uh, uh, pretty consistently throughout the uh, post 9-11 era uh, by the Bush administration. So, yeah, it's it's like really strange to me to go like. Well, then, like, I don't know, like, aren't you worried the guy's got a fucking Swiss passport and a, and a buddy down in Boca Raton? Like, you want to yeah. let him know? It's just, yeah, the whole thing is odd to me. Yeah, he was a former virology researcher at the U.S. Army Military Research Institute for Infectious Diseases at Fort Detrick. And he'd actually been under constant surveillance for more than a year before that because I mentioned earlier there were some hoax letters that were sent out. One of those went to a Microsoft office in Nevada, and it had a Malaysian postmark. And Stephen Hatfield's girlfriend had moved to the U.S. from Malaysia, which, interesting, but it's also circumstantial evidence. It's not. I mean, I can't imagine a virologist needing to get into some kind of 90-day fiancé situation to get laid. I mean, I've always known virologists to be a really robust and kind of talkative (laughs) sort of social group. I find them to have their own sort of boisterous charm and humor and you know they're always singing rousing virology songs when they get together at parties and bars and places like this so i i it's hard for me to put that one together that he needs to get some pussy from malaysia sort of trucked in i, I just i maybe feel like she he's was got more just, game than that maybe she was just also very interested in virology that's you know i know the malaysians are passionate about uh, uh, uh the endocrine systems and i don't <laughs> i'm running out of things i know to continue with this character uh yeah no i mean they it seems to me like they kind of went through okay who's got feasible access to anthrax let's find somebody let's just see if anything fits let's jump at every shadow let's spend billions and jillions of dollars of people's money just fucking spinning our wheels in this and looking at all the possible suspects domestically which sure yeah you know hey that's i guess suppose that's what i'd want 
uh, government to do. But they find this guy, they find a couple tidbits on him, and then they name him publicly as a person of interest and just go, all right, well, yeah, enjoy being a private citizen now when everybody's super nationalistic and fucking afraid and yeah. pumped up and like, you know, you know, bratting out their neighbor and afraid of Muslims and fucking protesting mosques and like, all right, yeah, just fucking add that to the fucking pile of shit for the wolves and it's it's not like there wasn't a bunch of weird circumstantial evidence on top of the malaysia thing it looks you know it looks a little fucked up yeah they they also were suspicious because another hoax letter that was sent to tom dashell's office a few weeks after that real one was found to have been sent from london and stephen hatfield was in london around the time that letter was postmarked interesting and the fbi also interviewed a writer named timothy meyer who had interviewed stephen hatfill for an article about how a person can make biological agents at home oh so okay he's definitely someone that would be on the radar but he's also a classic example of something that we used to absolutely love doing in this country and i feel like we've shied away from it a little bit but that is trying people in the media before they're ever yeah. charged with a crime. Like uh, Scott Peterson, I think, is a great example of that. He's still yep. in prison, but his death sentence was just overturned. If you really look into the Scott Peterson case, there's not any actual evidence against him. They were just like, why'd you buy a boat? And he went to prison, basically. Yep. Uh, Richard yeah. Jewell is another good example, where sure. they the FBI suspected him, so what they did is they just fed a bunch of their suspicions to the media, and then the media publishes them, and now everyone thinks Richard Jewell is the Olympic bomber, and then eventually it comes out, no, he wasn't. That was In a way, they're else. using kind of like an investigational bully pulpit and just taking advantage of their sort of i don't know institutional immunity in the uh the justice system and in, in american you know crime and punishment that uh they can just seed their kind of narrative out to the world and then go and then you know when we get to trial together we'll come mop up the scraps yeah and that's that seems like kind of what they were planning to do they were just everything they would find about Stephen hatfield during all this they would feed it to the media and the media would report it. And this guy was just like, all right, I'm not charged with anything. I didn't do this, but now everyone thinks I did it. Yeah. This is a quote from him. It's like death by a thousand cuts. There's a sheer feeling of hopelessness. You can't fight back. You have to just sit there and take it day after day. The constant drip, drip, drip of innuendo, a punching bag for the government and the press. And the thing was, I couldn't understand why it was happening to me. I was one of the good guys. This, These are always the most fascinating stories in the conspiracy world is when the well-intended sort of like cog in a machine type government guys that really aren't involved in anything malicious and probably think like oh, certain aspects of my work is bullshit. Some of it's mildly important overall. I'm glad I'm whatever. It's a gig. You know, I'm trying uh, you know, just uh, unambitious and generally warm and, you know, uh, you know, civic minded people that do exist. And, you know, uh, you know, sometimes get into positions of power, but, not, you know, most relatively rarely. And even then it's pretty corrupted and molested by all the, the forces at play you have to overcome to get there. But uh, when these guys get their lives fucking kicked in and their fucking houses raided and their whole fucking world destroyed just because of some kind of Salem witch trial, like 
you know, public uh, outcry. It's really fucking fascinating. And it reminded me a lot of the John Ronson books. So you've been publicly shamed on the Internet, just like what it's like, like living as a pariah in these moments. And then, you know, how do you really clear your name? You don't want to be making a bunch of public statements as a private individual that just turns you into like that. Martin Scarelli the whole thing up, you know, yeah. like the guys who just shut the fuck up and go to trial, just generally just do better. So, yeah, he's just kind of stuck there, you know, sitting in his house, probably not working, probably like, you know, borrowing money from his brother in law and shit. Just going, well, fuck me okay yeah it by all accounts nearly drove him insane yeah and at one point a few years later a reporter gaslighting on the government level we've all had a bad ex-boyfriend or two but i mean (laughs) (laughs) to get cnn involved in calling you names because you won't give the ipod back i mean it's dark yeah it really is and at one point years later a reporter for the atlantic asked Stephen Hatfield, how close he came to suicide during this ended up being a six year ordeal with the FBI. And his response was, that was never an option. If I would have killed myself, I would have been automatically judged by the press and the FBI to be guilty. And I think it's that's a bad true. motherfucker. Yeah, that's some uh, that's some fucking Braveheart Tupac shit. You know, you might defeat the flesh, but you'll never, ever kill me. You know, uh, I I feel like that would I feel like if I was ever in such a situation, my pettiness would also keep me alive. I think I would just go, oh, no, 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 I will be, I will be vindicated. Uh, there, there, I want there to be fat guys on the internet arguing on my behalf someday on podcasts with, you know, <laughs> reasonable to medium sized listenership. Uh, I, I want that's the legacy I want. So, yeah, I I, uh, I, I found that quote uh, fun. Yeah, I mean, if something like this happened to me, I would have to stick it out because I still have a podcast network I have to run. I feel so. like you live for this shit. I feel like it would. I feel like it would be like a, a kind of. It'd be this sort of like I don't know, Rocky uh, moment where you'd see all you know, you'd see Apollo Creed and all your all your uh, past cohorts and collaborators coming to your defense. You know, to fight the evil empire. I think it would be a a terrific grassroots uh, uh, campaign for your uh, your freedom. Either that, or they'd all align with the government. Who knows? That's the thing. I mean, we've always played this like snakes and just waited to see, waited to back a winner. So, I, I suppose we can't expect <laughs> complete loyalty. So, at one point, the FBI eventually came to realize what Stephen Hatfield had been saying this entire time was true, which was that he never had access to anthrax, even when he was working at Fort Detrick all those years. So, he ends up filing a lawsuit against the FBI and the Justice Department, claiming they invaded his privacy and ruined his career and he fucking won $5.82 million. Not bad. They had to pay him half of that up front and then a $150,000 annuity for... Damn, he took like the lottery deal. Yeah, yeah. He's probably calling that fucking, if you have structured payments, but you need cash now, <laughs> call J.G. He got, Wentworth. He got uh, uh, J.G. Wentworth in the, uh, in the mix. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> Imagine if you robbed a J.G. Wentworth bus with all those people Dude. with annuities on it, man. Oh yeah, and you and you funnel them out to like a like a holding complex and just uh, set up a bunch of dummy addresses for their checks or something. You know, that would like be when the they life. take old people down to Florida and get them all loaded up with Vicodin and they take them to a casino <laughs> and then steal all their pills. It's a good scam if you can run it. Yeah. So they eventually exonerate Stephen Hatfield, even though there was a lot of weird circumstantial evidence, it was just circumstantial evidence. The settlement with him was announced in June 2008, and less than two months later, there was another settlement, or another announcement. A man named Bruce Ivins 
a top government scientist who'd worked at Fort Detrick for 18 years, had committed suicide after being informed that the FBI was planning to charge him with carrying out the 2001 anthrax attacks. Ruh-roh. And up to this point, his name had not been disclosed at all publicly. No, he hadn't gotten the Hatfield treatment. Right. And he was a microbiologist who actually helped the FBI analyze the material recovered from one of the anthrax letters. And he died after ingesting a massive dose of prescription Tylenol mixed with codeine, which meant the charges leveled against him by the FBI would never go to court and we would never know if they were actually true or not. Very convenient. Yeah. So that's like one of these, like, did this guy, did somebody walk in with a gun and say, hey, write a note and eat these pills, you know? Uh, Or did he actually do the shit and, you know, just not want to fucking face the consequences? What's interesting to me is a guy who worked around chemical poisons and knows a lot about how they react to the body, killed himself with just garden variety Tylenol and codeine, which I know from having friends who have survived suicide attempts using these kinds of pills is extremely fucking painful. It's a horrible, horrible way to die. Uh, So I kind of go... I, I think of a guy like this and I go, this guy does the exit bag. If he's actually killing himself, he fills up a big balloon full of helium and lays down and goes to sleep. He he gets some kind of like painless, you know, yeah. tincture that he can synthesize in a garage lab. Like unless it was a real I just got to work up the courage and do this tonight. Not to analyze the poor guy's fucking suicide or whatever. But uh, it, it just it, that, that felt conspicuous to me. That makes me go. I don't know. I feel like this guy would kill himself smarter. Yeah, I mean, if you immediately trust this story that he committed suicide, you trust the government way too much. Yeah, because, I mean, they basically tried to pin it on one guy, and then they realized, oh, fuck, we ruined his life, and now we owe him $5 million. Okay, our bad. And spent how much, God knows how much money investigating and persecuting the guy in the first fucking place. Uh, And then you get another guy, and he looks good, and you go, we can't really do this in the media again. This is gonna, there's a bad taste in people. What if we just make it look like, oh, this guilty motherfucker, you couldn't you attacked America. You couldn't even look Lady Justice in the eyes. And, uh, you know, seems like the people have mostly gone. Oh, yeah. OK. Yeah. It seems kind of like what they wanted Stephen Hatfield to do. Like, yeah, he's right. If he had killed himself, people would have just been like, oh, I guess that was the guy. Makes perfect sense. Yep. And it, I have this theory that conspiracy theory fans and true crime fans are like the Republicans and Democrats when it comes to audiences. They have very strict sets of beliefs that conflict with each other. And one of them... (laughs) This is a very good take, okay. One of them is the idea of coincidences, where if you're a true crime fan and you're watching, I don't know, like you hear all the time in true crime shows, these detectives or true crime writers will be like, I don't believe in coincidences. There's no yeah. such thing as a coincidence. But then you you tell those same true crime fans something like this, where it involves the government as opposed to scary serial killers. And they'll go, oh, that's just a coincidence. Like, yeah, until the government tells me they murdered the guy, I don't believe they did it. And it's like that you how like you can't have it both you will suspend you'll suspend the disbelief for like a cool story but you won't do it for 
something where there are larger, more sinister and more uh, organizations at, at play that have a much more, you know, a solid outlook than just the, the chaos and revenge of a serial killer. People that have larger political forces are trying to affect in the world. So it's just there's a lot more grounds and basis to buy into, you know, corruption, conspiracy, cover up uh the false implications, you know, things like this, like it just makes a lot more sense to engage with those hypotheticals in this space when you're dealing with this kind of subject matter than, you know, than it does in any kind of garden variety murder. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite intersections of conspiracy theory and true crime is this theory that a serial killer named Edward Wayne Edwards killed Jimmy Hoffa. Interesting. Because Edward Wayne Edwards, he Definitely committed a lot of murders. His kids think he was the Zodiac killer. They also think he was the Atlanta child murderer. And what he was, was a killer of opportunity. If he felt like he could frame someone for a murder, Mm -hmm. he would commit that murder and try to frame that person for it. And he was in Jimmy Hoffa's inner circle at the time Jimmy Hoffa was murdered. Wow. And there was this big argument between Jimmy Hoffa and this other this mobster, and they think that's the guy who eventually killed Jimmy Hoffa, although they've never proved it. But because that argument happened a few days beforehand, they're like, oh, well, that's obviously what got him killed. But I was the- led to believe by recent reports in the media that it was actually Robert De Niro that killed Jimmy Hoffa. <laughs> uh, so I'd have Could've to do been. my own research on that. But that's certainly interesting. <laughs> Yeah, that's cool though. I I, I didn't uh, I I don't read much serial killer stuff. It just never really quite did it for me. It's, it's, I find it more upsetting than interesting. But yeah, some of that Zodiac stuff and the guy I've heard a little bit about the kids think he did it, and it's all very interesting. Yeah, the fact that he's also in Jimmy. Like, how much fucking drama and, and insanity is enough in your life that you're like, look, I've been quietly killing people you know, uh, without the knowledge of my my close family for about fifteen years. I'd like to also be a deal with mob assassination paranoia and, you know, associate with one of the most controversial men in modern life. Yeah. Jimmy Hoffa gave this guy a job immediately after he got out of prison. And one of the, the lines of thinking or one of the possible theories is that Edward Wayne Edwards saw that argument between Jimmy Hoffa and that other mobster and was like, Oh, if I kill Jimmy Hoffa right now, they're going to think that guy did it. And yeah, I'll just get away with it. It's an interesting theory because he was there at the time. Like he was if that's his profile. I mean, if that's what he does, if his thing is just like, if I can get away with it, I'll do it. You know, it's like I'm sure there's guys who have a cheat on your wife policy. That's very similar. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, it's that's just kind of like one of those like uh, primal mind states that people can like sort of uh, compartmentalize and, and just live in life. Yeah. Yeah. And so back to Bruce Ivan's. After he committed suicide and all these stories came out about the FBI planning to charge him, people started looking at the FBI's case against him. And it turned out that once again, it was all very circumstantial. He had access to the strain of anthrax in question, and he worked long nights at the lab right before the attacks happened. That's it. That's that's what they had on him. Other than that, he was just kind of a weirdo, which Stephen Hatfield was also. Stephen Hatfield was, they described him almost as like an athlete, like a like a big menacing jock, but okay. he was also a scientist and a very outspoken scientist, and not a lot of people liked him. Interesting. And- a macho scientist. Yeah, I mean, 
the, the again people who have the more obscure and education required and kind of elites or interesting your job like people get those jobs so that they can indulge their insane personality you know what i mean like it, i've been doing that my entire life i've been pursuing a career that allows me to live like a ridiculous asshole so i mean i i the eccentric character portrait doesn't really move the needle much for me but i mean you know it's it's obviously a compelling set of circumstantial evidence to at least look into the guy that fucking he was around the shit he had the shit at the time you know it's like this shit anthrax is super fucking rare it's hard to make it's like you know if you're going after a terrorist cell that put it together it's pretty hard to find it and occam's razor i mean what if it's just some one of our guys that was trying to make some kind of big point i mean there's people with fringe beliefs about the government in the government related to the government and shit that's ancillary to the government and every once in a while you know it's not the craziest thing someone decides to be a cowboy and go make their point with a couple uh fucking loaded letters so it's all interesting shit the suicide is really fucking weird yeah the suicide is weird and What's interesting about him, as opposed to Stephen Hatfill, is the FBI announced this in 2008. So there was none of that 9-11 hysteria swirling around by this point. It was like war fatigue by this point. Right. So when they announced this case, instead of the media just jumping on board with their story right away, several media outlets, including the Washington Post, the New York Times, and the Wall Street Journal, all called for an independent investigation into the FBI's claims. And Senator Patrick Leahy stated at a Senate hearing in in September 2008 that he didn't believe the FBI's case against Ivins or that Evans acted alone. GOP Senator Arlen Specter at the same hearing told the FBI they could never have obtained a conviction against Evans in court based on their case. Goddamn. Strong words, you know? And is so, there anything, is there any reason to kind of uh, inspect the agenda of these senators? I mean, that stuff, uh, what I read, looked pretty like, I don't know, like just civics, just, I don't know, whatever, trying to. I mean, add some sort of add some sort of like uh, justicey thing to your resume in between, you know, uh, writing kickbacks for, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, Patrick uh, Leahy was one of the senators. The letters were addressed to. So that's pretty. I mean, yeah, that's that's some raw shit. If anyone was going to really want the actual perpetrator caught, it would be that guy. No, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that looks pretty, pretty black and white there. And it's again, it's crazy to me that these people all work for the same kind of group, but they are so fucking they they spend so much time and money just fucking fighting each other's best interests. You know what I mean? Like, how is this an efficient system at all where there's just two highly funded groups of powerful assholes that you can barely decide on that get to just make these insane fucking, you know, maneuvers against one each uh, against one another at your expense. It's so fucking crazy to me. Yeah, it's why the government operates unchecked, because there's always one half of the country that's going to support everything they do. No matter what side is in office, that is the case. One half of the country will always be like, yep, that's right. So. We're fucked. We can never get anything done. Nope. And the FBI, in response to all of this questioning of their charges against Bruce Ivins, they decided what they were going to do was have the National Academy of Sciences convene a panel to review their genetic findings about the origins of the anthrax used in the attack. Because they had, according to them, traced the, the same anthrax spores used in the attack to a test tube that was in Bruce 
Ivan's office. And they felt that this was their strongest evidence against him. So they asked the National Academy of Sciences to convene a panel, assuming that the National Academy of Sciences is going gonna, is gonna to come back and go, yeah, the FBI nailed it. This is your guy. And they did not. Instead, wow. their report concluded that the FBI overstated the strength of genetic analysis linking the mailed anthrax to a supply kept by Bruce Ivins. I mean, well, that shit is all, I mean, it's all got to be pretty chemically similar. I do like the idea that there's a group of people that can get together and be like Ancestry.com for a specific sample of a, of a horrible brain-eating virus. Yeah, and I like, I just think it's funny that the FBI enlisted their help and then they yeah. get this report back and it's like, fuck. And they totally got womp womped. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that you could like, oh, it shows a 38% similarity. And then you could just take that and go shows significant fucking genetic similarity. And it's like one of these things that sounds smart until you look at the nitty gritty of it. And it's probably more nuanced, you know, and it's like, I feel like, if it, you know, again, like what, what they're doing here is trying to build a narrative, another fucking create another culprit. And they're just they threw out another fucking piece of sort of aluminum tube yellow cake uranium you know type bullshit shaky evidence and then you know they got smoked yeah and to this day they still claim bruce ivins is the perpetrator and it's never really been investigated beyond that and to me the beyond who did this the biggest unanswered question is who were those four well-placed sources that told yeah. abc news that iraq was involved because like if you talk about somebody that like i don't know would perhaps i don't, I don't want to say deserves to get doxxed or anything like that but if you're going to out somebody publicly and sort of call somebody to um accountability for their actions in this case it's like the people that were behind the rah-rah invade iraq narrative when the answers have all unfolded to be much more complicated and interesting it's like that's a very suspicious happened real fucking quick it was discredited pretty thoroughly like that seems to be where you'd where you'd want to look in this you know shit to really kind of get to the bottom of it to me yeah because it happened at a time when we know the american government the george w bush administration specifically was just itching for a reason to invade iraq and so 9-11 happens and like most of the hijackers are Saudis. So, of course, we blame that on Iraq first. And then this happens and someone, some well-placed source with knowledge of government testing of anthrax reaches out to ABC News and is like, Iraq did it. So we should probably just go to Iraq and start a war, right? I hope Dick Cheney has like some kind of deathbed confessional where he's just like, I would just stay up like fucking railing lines and leaking false information to the media. And it just, it was fucking, I used to ride the lightning every night. Like he had an addiction to it. I feel like, yeah, it's, you never totally make sense. There could be someone on that guy's team and that guy, he was, uh, you know, from everything I've read about that administration a little bit more, you know, jingoistic and fucking gung ho about invading people and shit. So, yeah, I mean, there's a great quote from someone that worked in the White House at that time that was that would walk around uh, and he'd say, yeah, good morning, Dick. You blow, wipe any small countries off the map this morning and you go. You know, that's the thing about this job that I really enjoy. <laughs> you know, he's just a cold motherfucker. So, I mean, there's no shortage of like opportunistic and calculating individuals in that group that might do some shit like that. But 
you know, even then, if it's not for CIA guys, FBI guys and the fucking news media that all got together and did this, like who planted the seed? Where's their fucking info from? Like, you know, somebody somebody knows an answer. Somebody has some fucking insight here that they're, you know, keeping to themselves. And I get journalistic integrity, but I don't know. It seems like this is an actual issue of, uh, you know, domestic terror within our, our own, you know, elements of our own public life, perhaps, you know, warrants further search. Yeah, it's I, I understand journalists don't want to burn their sources. But in this case, these sources were involved in an active disinformation campaign. I know you like your dealer, but there's fentanyl in this shit, bro. <laughs> yeah. you know, we need answers. They led us into war. And it begs the obvious question, if there were government sources who were trying to make this out to be a thing perpetrated by Iraq, were there government sources behind these attacks? Like it came, we know the anthrax came from Fort Detrick, which is a government lab. So this was sent by someone in the government. Yeah. And think about the targets they sent it to. The two Democratic senators who would be most likely to oppose an invasion of Iraq and a bunch of what you would call liberal media outlets and then the Inquirer. But NBC... That's like, that's the, you know, we can kill them, you know? Yeah. Who's going to complain? Yeah. You shoot Harvey Levin. Do you think how, how, you know what I mean? Like... Yeah, and at this time, there weren't all those, like, internet... I mean, the internet was a thing, but, like, internet news sites weren't what they are now. So if you could get all of those outlets and those two senators on your side in suspecting that Iraq was mailing anthrax all around the country, that would make getting a war with Iraq signed off on so much easier. I I just watched The Sopranos and this is total mob shit. Like, let me just go over and crack a taillight with a baseball bat and then give him a blender and just say like, hey, shut the fuck up. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. So who knows? I mean, we'll link to a bunch of articles about this on unpops.com. Glenn Greenwald is a name I'm sure a lot of people recognize did a lot of reporting was, on he this. was the banker at the big bank in harry potter i believe <laughs> exactly yeah and he he protected the gold galleons <laughs> he did a whole lot of reporting on this it's all really interesting but it i mean that's kind of where it stands it's just one of those early 2000s scandals that is kind of forgotten to history and i don't know it's like you know most conspiracies they get a it's kind of it's the classic life cycle of like long and confusing public battle about mainstream narrative and the veracity of the facts presented at the time by the people investigating the case at the time and then just a series of ever untangling and evolving compelling loose ends that ultimately just produce more unsatisfying questions yeah yeah it's a it's a frustrating one because it's like yeah there's five people were dead i mean this was a a huge sort of like push on the scales of public mind and 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 a a national attitude about many of the big decisions that would be coming up in politics you know at that point in american history and it's just uh yeah the whole thing just fucking reeks top to bottom and it seems like yeah someone in the government did it they all covered it up i i can't imagine you know that many people actually know who did this or what the fuck happened and i bet they're pretty fucking i bet they got a pretty strict sort of uh no girls allowed kind of policy about everybody, you know, involved in this shit. And it's it's probably going to die with like seven old white guys. And, you know, there'll, there'll be a, an, another generation of fat guys answering six more open ended questions in 20 years. Yeah, when it's this is all <laughs> said and done. It's the kind of scandal where if there was 
government involvement in this, no one on any side in the government is ever going to want that to come out because that is like, that is the ultimate crime. Like that's a false flag attack against your own citizens. And we know we've at least thought of doing that in the past, but it has been on many a drawing board, (laughs) basically erased and burned and thrown in a dumpster, you know, (laughs) but to have it come out that it actually happened like that would just undermine faith in the government altogether on a very massive scale. So I don't know if there's any hope of this ever truly being solved. Yeah. And it's like all this shit, if it ever is solved, it's through some kind of accident, some sort of like fucking clerical error and, uh, you know, just sort of something that falls through the cracks and the cover up. And then some sort of, you know, like I said, civic minded, you know, good hearted person that has a government job just goes, oh, well, I found something interesting. You know, the, it's just probably going to uh, probably going to be in the black file. You know, just one of those things where it's like, well, look, we can just keep creating creepy, fucked up mysteries for everyone that investigates this just indefinitely because we can't this is gonna it undermines the fabric of our whole you know uh, facade here yeah yeah if anyone out there wants to uh file a freedom of information act request there is Mm. nothing on vault.fbi.gov about stephen hatfill about bruce ivins or anthrax in general so uh file it and send me the results i'm i'm still too terrified to file freedom of information <laughs> act requests because you yeah, gotta that's hit not up- something that's something i'd want a burner identity for yeah you gotta hit up the government and be like hey i think you're up to something can you send me proof here's my, my mom home address. Is like, there's a flower truck outside have you been doing something <laughs> with my social security no no my internet hasn't worked for months now yeah what's going on <sighs> so who knows I mean, I think the government did this. I think we were trying to drum up more support for invading Iraq, and this was part of it. And it is, uh, yeah, it is the most obvious explanation to me, you know. And that doesn't mean we were trying to kill anyone. We're just trying to scare people a little bit. They said take penicillin. You know, that was nice. Yeah, that's it. That's advice you can use in that situation. Maybe I don't know if penicillin will help. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah, who knows? But uh. I think the government did this and myth busted. <laughs> I think that's our episode. Do we, do you have any final thoughts on Amerithrax? I don't know. I always wait for this kind of shit to come back. Like, I feel like there's got to be a cheaper version of this that somebody could cook up some sort of like 4chan anarchist cookbook shit that could make its way around on, you know, the internet here and there. Like, this is the sort of thing that I'm always like, obviously thrilled, but sort of surprised it doesn't happen more. You know, yeah. the Unabomber stuff, the decent like it seems like a way to sort of have your cake and eat it, too, in terms of like most like acts of public terrorism and uh, revenge. It's like if you're going to go drive your car into a bunch of people at a Proud Boys thing or whatever your deal is, like it's just not you're not going to get away with it. But shit like this, it seems like, well, I can think I'm the smartest guy in the world and pretend I'm running fucking global politics from my my backyard workshop. And I can, you know, see all this shit happen and still live my life and have this exciting, you know, double life as a as, you know, a, a Stalinist bank robber funding the socialist revolution <laughs> or whatever your deal is. So I don't know. I'm I'm I expect a lot. You know, I, I feel like this is going to be one of those things where like, oh, my God, that's just like anthrax, like, you know. We had all this kind of nostalgia to our worst versions of COVID with SARS and everything else and all that, you know, every MERS and all this shit that happens every few years. Like, 
this is a big tragedy that I think is going to unfortunately have like a fucking Green Day Dookie type thing one day that really makes <laughs> it blows it up and gets it. We'll be there'll, there'll be more letter testing strips and shit you have to buy on fucking cable infomercials right after. And yeah, I'm I, I'm I'm waiting for it. It's it's very scary, unnerving stuff. Use code UNPOPS at checkout to save 15 percent off your letter <laughs> testing strips. You're, your infrared uh, X-ray letter. <laughs> uh, you can get it with the tack visor on MeTV while you're watching Matlock. It's yeah. a good product. Get some tactical glasses. Get yourself some uh-huh. letter testing strips. You need to filter sunlight away from your face at the level of the Navy SEALs, the, the greatest <laughs> warriors of our country. <laughs> yeah, your commute is just like being a Navy SEAL. You want to have an arm that's just a, like a loaf of bread with the tricep on top, and uh, your T-shirts are too small, but they're, they're just right, just right for you and your tactics. <laughs> so I think that's our episode. Do we have anything to plug before we get out of here? You can follow my uh, social media. I'm at Connor McSpadden on everything. That's Connor McSpadden, N. Uh, two N's, two O's in the first name. Uh, yeah, you know, it's Twitter, Instagram. Keep up with your boy. Uh, you can Spooky follow jokes for kids this month. So I'll be writing family friendly Halloween jokes every day on the Internet. And you can enjoy those. Read them to your children. That's always fun. Follow this show on Twitter at Conspirapops and uh, subscribe to get bonus episodes at Patreon.com slash Unpops or UnpopsNetwork.Supercast.Tech. You jerks. And uh, we're also going to have an un- uh, Conspiracy the Show t-shirt available in our Public store soon. I got to get one of those. It uh, looks like a redacted document. It's very Ooh, cool. that's fun. Yeah. So be on the lookout for that. We'll definitely let you know when it's available. And I think that's it. Let's get the fuck out of here. Connor, say goodbye. <coughs> Is there any <coughs> penicillin <coughs> in here? <laughs> goodbye, everybody. We love you. 